parents and bless the teachers. Keep them, keep them safe back there and let them be blessed. Um, I want you to turn to Joshua chapter 7. You know, we've been studying about how to come into your spiritual inheritance and looking at, as, at the book of Joshua as a type in the Bible of people who went from uh, being in the wilderness of their life to entering into the things that God has for them. Okay, and we see that there, that's a good picture, you know, a good example that God has given us. So we've been trying to kind of work our way through that and trying to glean from that things that God could do in our life to help us come into all that God has for us in this life. Amen? You want to come into all that God has for you in this life? Does everybody believe they have an inheritance from the Lord? I was thinking about my dad. I didn't get a no inheritance from, you know, like a lot of people get money or a property or something. I didn't get any of that from my natural dad. But I feel like there was a great inheritance for me spiritually. You understand what I'm saying? So if you've got a natural inheritance, that's great. Be blessed with it. But the Lord has something greater for you. He has something. He has fulfillment and purpose and destiny for your life. And just really want to encourage you to keep going after that and pursuing that. And there's, a, there's battles to be fought. Okay, there's wars to be fought, and there's things to overcome in this. But God wants to, God wants to take us in, in, into His uh, fullness. And I want to read, in, if you turn to Joshua eight. Remember last week we had the, we looked at uh, how an AI. Everybody know what AI is? It's artificial intelligence, right? <laughs> AI was that place in the Bible where. They went for their second battle and got defeated. And that's what we looked at last week is, is how they got defeated in, in the whole issue of your confidence before the Lord and how God wants to help you with your confidence. Well, they, got, they dealt with the issues and they had a turnaround. And so this in chapter 8 is, I'm going to read in verse 1, this is how they, what the Lord did after they dealt with their problems in chapter 7. It says, Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Take all the people of the war with you and arise and go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil, everybody catch this, only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves. Okay, remember in Jericho they couldn't do that. That's the difference. Okay? They couldn't have anything there. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. So Joshua rose and all the people wore to go up against Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. Everybody say night. There's a big difference there between night and day. In Jericho, there was in the daytime. And he commanded them, saying, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city, behind the city. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. So they set up this ambush. Then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city, and it will come about when they come out against us as first that we shall flee before them. For they will come out after us till we have drawn them from the city, for they will say they are fleeing before us as at the first. Therefore we will flee before them. Then you will rise from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hands. And it will be when you have taken the city that you shall set the city on fire according to the commandment of the Lord. You shall do it. See, I have commanded you. So did you get all that? What Joshua did, he sent some people out behind the city and they hid, basically. 
And they went out to the city thought they were going to engage them and fight them. The people of the city saw them and came out to fight Joshua. They didn't know about the guys he had hid in the back. Okay? And Joshua and them said, well, what we're going to do is we're going to act like they're beating us and we're going to run away from them. Okay? So that's what happened. So when they ran away and got everybody away from the city, the guys hid, went into the city, set the city on fire. Those guys who were out fighting Joshua them turned around and looked, and their city is burning down. And when they did, you know, they fell apart. And Joshua and those guys came and killed them all, wiped them off the planet, you know, and destroyed them. And one of the things, this is, this is a thing that I see in, in all of this, is, you know, it's when you fall. Everybody has in their life have fallen from grace, right? Everybody's made mistakes. And it really, when you think about this, it really is another clear picture in the Bible of the God of second chances. How God will give you another chance after you've fallen, after you've messed up. He really is a God of second chances. He's a God of grace. The Bible says, He restores my soul. That's Psalm 23. He restores my soul. But, it says this also, Lead me in the path of the righteous for your name's sake. See, here's the thing. What I believe this speaks more than anything else. Joshua 7 and 8, and I want to read a little bit in Joshua 9 in just a moment. Not only does it speak about God's grace and God giving us a second chance, because God wants people in this room to know there's a second chance for you. If you've messed up like they messed up and they suffered, that God is saying to you this morning, I'll give you another chance. I'll give you another chance. I can turn your defeat into victory. Okay? I'll restore you. I'll restore you to fellowship. I'll restore you to whatever's been lost in your life. Now, that's the Lord. That's the heart of the Lord. But we can't stop there. We've got to go beyond that. Because what not only what God wants to do is He not only wants to restore you back, but He wants to lead you into something. He wants to take you and put you on the path of the righteous. That's where He wants you to go. And for you to live your life there and not keep going back, not keep going back, not keep going back. So I really think this. This is what I really feel like the Lord's trying to say really speaks real clear to me, is that this, these chapters are a whole lot about staying close to God. Speaks volumes about how staying close to God. Okay? Are y'all with me? So that's what I want to do. Now turn over to, to uh, Joshua 9. I want to read just a little bit of that also. So we're looking at Joshua 7, 8, and 9, sort of the big picture. In Joshua 9, verse 3, it says, but when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard that Joshua heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily. Everybody say craftily. That sounds like the, the, the devil, doesn't it? <laughs> and went and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskin, torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, and old garments on themselves, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal. So they were back at their camp and said to him, And to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now therefore make a covenant with us. Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you dwell among us, so how can we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you and where do you come from? They, so they said to him, From a very far country your servants have come. Because of the name of the Lord your God, for we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, uh, so on and so forth. Okay? And then jump down to verse 14. 
Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask the counsel of the Lord. Everybody say, did not ask counsel of the Lord. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. So what happened was they find out. These guys had tricked them. And they went up to them and said, why did you do this? And they wanted to attack them, but they couldn't. And everybody got mad at the leaders. Anybody ever got mad at leaders before? They were mad at them. Why don't y'all do this? Why aren't we attacking them? And they said this, we're not attacking them because we made a covenant before the Lord to these people. You see, here's something that's really important this morning. And I'm going to show you this. Okay? Is God really takes your word seriously. You hear what I'm saying to you? He takes us at our words. If we promise something, you know what? He's coming for those words sooner or later in your life. He's coming from those words. And your words will cost you big time. These words cost them big time. Now, what happened was this. The Gibeonites knew they were doomed. They knew they were doomed. They knew they were defeated. So they went and tried to get, you know, make this deal with Joshua and them. And a lot of times what we've got to be careful, and I don't want to go into this too much, and I don't want to go into all, but I want to tell you sometimes the enemy comes to us like that and tricks us. He comes to us in many ways and tricks us into doing something that we shouldn't do. Okay, and something that's going to cost us down the road over and over. Because Moses was real specific with them. He said, he said, don't do this in Exodus 23, uh, 32. He says, don't make a covenant with them nor their gods. And so, God, so basically what Joshua did, he made a covenant with the enemy unknowingly. But the bad thing about it is God made him keep his covenant. God held his feet to the fire. And let me just show you how much. Uh, hold your place there in Joshua and turn over to 2 Samuel 21. Okay? 2 Samuel 21. Just a couple, couple books over. This is way down the road. In fact, this is 400 years later. King David is the king of Israel. 400 years after this happened. King David sitting on the throne. 2 Samuel verse 21. Verse 1. Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years. A famine for three years. That would be bad, wouldn't it? Year after year. And David inquired of the Lord. Everybody say, inquired of the Lord. One of the hallmarks of David's life is inquiring. When he didn't inquire of the Lord, he got in trouble. And the Lord answered, It is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house, because he killed who? The Gibeonites. Three years. Famine. Saul killed somebody. A Gibeonite, and it goes on and says, So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. The children of Israel had sworn protection to them. But Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal. All right, listen to this. In his zeal for the children of Israel and Judah. Saul sought to kill these people. Good purpose, good reason, good excuse for killing them. Had a zeal for the children of Israel. Had a zeal for the house of God. Had a zeal for the people of God. Went and killed these people. Now Saul's dead. David's the king. The country is suffering a great famine. Okay? Suffering. 400 years earlier, somebody makes a deal. God's remembering this day and causes a nation to go in famine for three years. You hear what I'm saying to you? For three years. So we've got to really understand this. Now so... Just a couple of little things. Is number one, David inquired of the Lord. Number two, ever heard of generational sins? 
you know that scripture in the New Testament where it says you're going to reap where you did not sow? We always, everybody know that scripture? The Bible says that. We always take that as a positive that something good is going to happen because somebody behind us did something good. Well, let me tell you, it works on the bad side too. When somebody before us sins and that sin is not dealt with and that sin is not repented of, guess who is going to reap? David didn't do that. Those people who were going thirsty and they were probably going hungry didn't do that. Saul did it. Somebody sinned. Somebody has to stand in the gap and repent and deal with this. And see, many times the things that we're suffering are things that had happened beforehand in our lives. Is that... Everybody got that? Everybody got that clear? Do you know I could be suffering for something my dad did if I don't repent of it, if he never repented of it? it has, sin has to be repented of because sin pays his wages until it's dealt with. Somebody has to repent. Somebody has to deal with it. Or the wages are going to keep getting paid. And here's the wages of sin. Famine, three years. The wages of sin at Ai. 36 men killed because of sin. 36 families suffering grief because someone sinned. You hear? Are you all with me? Now here's, so this is, this is what I'm trying to say to you. I, this is number one, point number one. We must stay, stay close to God because of the price we will pay if we do not. We must stay close to God because of the price we will pay if we do not. I believe AI could have been a victory the first time. You hear what I'm saying to you? It could have been a victory. They didn't have to lose those men. They lost 36 men. Somebody's husband died. Somebody's daddy died. Somebody's young son died for no reason. Okay? Three years of famine because of sin, because they didn't inquire of the Lord. Are y'all with me? So let me just talk to you. You know, we're talking about having a relationship with the Lord and staying close to the Lord. And sometimes we don't think about it in these terms. That if we don't stay close to the Lord, somehow it's going to cost us. And guess what? Not only is it going to cost us, it's going to affect other people around us. So our lack of staying close to God, our lack of hearing His voice in our life and following Him can hurt us, and it can hurt our families, and it can hurt our friends, and it can hurt the people around us. And that's just the truth. And we need to get that in our heart. When we really are just thinking that, well, we need to have a close relationship with the Lord. You know, everybody knows that. We need to do that. We need to be close to God. But think about this. If you don't be close to God, if you don't stay close to God, it is going to cost you. There's a price to be paid. There's a real price. Turn over to Psalm 19 and let me just read. Are you all with me on this? I mean, this is really important. I mean, this is really important. Psalm 19. Verse, verse something. Verse 12 and 13. This is a famous scripture. It says, Psalm 19, verse 12. Who can understand his errors? Question mark. Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Everybody say presumptuous sins. Anybody ever here presumed anything on the Lord? Anybody ever did anything that was really not doing exactly what Joshua did. He stopped. He didn't ask counsel of the Lord. He just went on into this deal with the Gibeonites. That's why I said David inquired of the Lord. He asked the Lord, Lord, what's going on here? Joshua never took the time to ask the Lord. These guys are claiming they're from far off. They look from afar off. They're acting from afar off. Everything about them says they're from afar off. 
You hear what I'm saying to you? And the Bible talks about being presumptuous. And you can do that in any area of your life. You can be presumptuous. You can come assuming certain things are going to happen. And that's being presumptuous with the Lord instead of asking the Lord. Being in touch with the Lord and asking God to show you what's happening. And it says right here, real clear, real clear, that I'd be blameless and I'd be innocent of great transgressions. In other words, the Lord sees presumption. When we're presumptuous with Him and we don't really check with God and we don't, when we're not close enough to God to really hear what He's got to say about a situation, God says it's a great transgression. And it's going to cost us. And no telling what we're paying today because of past presumption with the Lord. You hear? Is that... Are y'all with me on that? So, number one, we've got to get from this is we need to stay close to the Lord for the price it's going to cost us. It is going to cost you something if you do not. And I promise you that. It's going to cost you. You can't get away from it. Second thing, this is a good one. We must stay close to God even though His Word is set forever. Everybody say His Word is set forever. The Bible never changes. However, His methods vary. You hear that? Let me say it one more time. I want you to get this. We, may, we must stay close to God. Even though His, words, His Word is set forever, His methods vary. His methods vary. Here's some things I want to compare Jericho and Ai. The difference between the method that God used to take Jericho and the method that God used to take Ai. He did both of them. The, the end results was the same, but they were both had different methodology. In Jericho, they marched around the city. In Ai, there was no march. In Jericho, Joshua sent spies into the city. In Ai, he spent, sent spies only to look at the city. In Jericho, they met a woman named Rahab. She helped them. In Ai, they didn't meet any women. They didn't meet anybody. In, Jer- in Jericho, they could not have the spoil. In Ai, they could have the spoil. In Jericho, they didn't really have a real battle strategy. All they were supposed to do was just walk around, and it was proper time, yell. Okay? But in Ai, there was a definite real battle strategy. Set an ambush. Act like you're getting beat. Run. Then turn on them. In Jericho, the thing happened in broad daylight. In Ai, it happened at night. You see what I'm saying? Completely different methods. Completely different methods. Same God, same goal, different way of doing it. And see, if we don't stay close to God, we're going to miss, we're going to miss what He's doing. You never know what God's going to do next. You really don't know what he's going to do next. God really is a God of surprises. He's never going to let you figure it out. That we should always do it this way. This is the way it worked last time. And I'll tell you, that's a big mistake to think that way. People just, here's, here's the really sad thing about a lot of uh, charismatic people. They think, they just apply that to church. Well, we don't want to do the same, have a, an order in the service. Okay? But their life is so ordered in other ways, in their relationship with the Lord, it's ridiculous. You know, but yet they want to come to church and say, oh, let's just let the Lord do whatever He wants to, however He wants to, any way He wants to, but yet they don't live that in their own personal lives. So it's sort of hypocritical, you know? They even think that way if you're not letting the Lord do it on, you know, every other day of the week. Is that, are y'all with me on that? And I'm going to tell you something. We really, if you're not close to the Lord, if you're not hearing God's heartbeat, I don't care. You can, you can take Bible verses and blindly apply them all day, but it will not work. Because God will not allow us to put him in a box. And this is the way God has done it. This is the way he's done it for 93 years. He's going to do it for the 94th year. But guess what happens on the 93 and a half year? He completely does it backwards. So you've got to stay close to him to be able to hear 
what He's doing, be able to sense what the Spirit's saying at that moment. And that's really what God's calling us into now, is to be more sensitive to His Spirit, be able to feel what His Spirit's saying at that moment. All right, we're going to sing a few songs here, and let's just get through with that, and then we'll have an offering, let's get through with that, and then we'll have a message, let's get through with that. Instead of giving the Lord an opportunity to speak in all that. Where the Lord might say, well, I'd like to have a little groaning this morning. You know? I'd like to have some groaning. Anybody want to groan with the Lord this morning? That's what he's saying. Anybody want to groan with me? And everybody who rejects that stuff, they're just saying, well, we don't want to groan with you, Lord. And he's not mad about that. He's just saying, okay, don't groan with me. I'll let you groan some other time. I'll let you groan when you find out something you didn't want to know. You know what I'm saying? Well, you really have to groan. Anybody ever had that? They found out something they really didn't want to find out. They heard something that was really terrible news, and you fell in your, on your face and groaned before the Lord. I have so many times. It's ridiculous. It's opposite. The spiritual life is it. I'm telling you, it's opposite. In the natural, as we grow up, we become more and more independent. Is that right? Right? I mean, you know, hey, I'm not living at home with my mom anymore. I'm not asking her, you know, to give me money to do this and do that with. I'm on my own. You know, I'm independent. But this is the way the spiritual life works. The further along you go with God, the more dependent you become. God makes you dependent. And you think you're going to grow up and become independent, you're going to get more and more and more and more and more dependent. And the further you go, the less sense God makes. I'm telling you, that's the truth. God makes less sense to me today than He ever has in my life. And that's by design. That's the way God wants it to be. Because He ain't going to let me figure Him out. Because once I think i got this one little part of God figured out, He opens up this other whole dimension that I never even thought was even there. So I'm going to tell you something. This is what real spiritual maturity is. The most spiritual mature person in this room is the most dependent person in this room. And that's the truth. And as we grow, we'll grow more dependent. And God will like make less sense to us. And this really is the truth. You cannot understand the Bible without the Lord making it make sense to you. You hear what I'm saying? Some people get all frustrated because there's contradictions in the Bible. And there are contradictions in this Bible. There's places where God says, get up and go. And other places where He says, sit down and be quiet. You know? There's contradictions. And the only way we can get that is the Lord Himself is the one who bridges those contradictions. It's being close to Him and having a relationship with Him and a communion with Him where you can feel what's in His heart and sense what's in His heart and know the look on His face so you'll know at that moment what He's saying and doing. Oh, He's saying be quiet right now. Are y'all, is this making sense? Because this is really important. You won't make it if you don't do this. All right, here's the third and final thing. Turn back to Joshua 8. I want to talk about Mr. Aiken for a minute. Mr. Aiken. Remember, he was the guy who took the stuff. He took the Babylonian garment. He took the silver and the bars of gold back in chapter 7 and hid them. Chapter 7, verse 20, it says, Achan answered Joshua, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I've done. When I saw the spoils, a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them, and there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. Well, here's the thing. Back in 8, remember this, chapter 8, verse 2. When the Lord said, You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, only its full... And it's cattle you shall take as booty for yourself. 
Okay? Remember in Jericho, he says, you can't have any of this spoil. Don't touch it. And that's what Achan did. Is the Lord said, you can't have any of that stuff. And he did it. He took it when he wasn't supposed to get it. But then the Lord said, the next battle over, you can have it. Now here's the, here's the point. Here's the point. A lot of people want stuff. Okay? Just like, just like Achan, he wanted something. How many in this room want something this morning? Raise your hand. Let me see who doesn't want anything. Man, some of you guys are pretty good. You don't want anything. He wanted something. So he went after it. And he got it, but he never got to enjoy it. And poor Achan, if poor Achan would have only waited just a little bit, just a few days, the very things that he stole from the world and tried to get illegally and illicitly, in an illicit way, he could have gotten, God would have given it to him. And see, a lot of people go after stuff that's really something that God's put in them, a desire for something. And they go after it and want it, and, but you do it wrongly. You do it wrongly. You don't let God give it to you, and you get ahead of God. And the problem is, is you never get to enjoy Him. He never got to enjoy that garment. He never got to spend that money because He shouldn't have done it. And consequently, He got cursed over the whole thing, and He was killed over it. And I think there's a lot of people who are going after and trying to lay their hands on something, and they've put their hands on something they should have never done it. Now, the thing is, the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. I see a lot of people doing things that are real desires from God. The problem is, is God is the one who's supposed to give it to you. You're not supposed to take stuff. You hear what I'm saying? You're not supposed to get something that you shouldn't have at the wrong time. And I believe the one thing that Achan screams at us, screams at us, is this. If he could rise up from that heap of stones where he was buried, if they killed him, he would say, please, do not try to get something before you're supposed to have it. Don't do it, because in the end, it's going to create destruction in your life. It's going to create destruction in your life. And there's a lot of people who are doing that. There's a lot of people in this room doing that. You've gone after something that you wanted, that you had to have. You had to have it right then, you had to have it right there. And you got it. But the problem is, you're not really going to get to enjoy it. And sooner or later, God's going to come for you over it. Because here's what God was saying, is I wanted to be the one who gave you that thing. And, and in my time, you would have gotten it. But you got ahead of me. And instead of it being a blessing in your life, it's going to become a curse to you. And I want to just tell you why. This is what it does. It messes everybody else up too. It creates problems for other people. It really does. Is anybody in this room guilty of that this morning? Of going after stuff before God was only giving it to you? I mean, are you seriously guilty of it? Is anybody guilty of it right this moment? That you're doing something in your life that you know deep down in your heart. Not, maybe not. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. It doesn't have to be a sin. Gold wasn't a sin. Silver was Even that Babylonian garment wasn't a sin. I mean, I'd like to have a, you know, some nice clothes. You know? Those things weren't sins. But the way he got them were sins. And if Achan would have been closer to the Lord... The Lord would have told him, "Hey, just hang on. It's gonna, you're going to get you're going to get these things. Just hang on. Be still. Wait. Wait. Just wait. It's going to come to you. It's going to come to you. You just be waiting. You'll be patient with me. I'll I'll provide for you. I'll give you the desires of your heart. I'll fulfill your life. I'll fulfill your life. But he didn't. And I think there's people in this room that are in that place, big time." 
And it all starts because you're not close to God. You've drifted from Him. And no longer you're able to hear and feel what God's saying. And you're going after things and you're doing things that God's not telling you to do. And it's going to, you're going to reap destruction in your life over it. You're going to reap corruption. And for, for those who are like parents and those who are in ministry or doing ministry, if you, not only are you going to reap corruption, you're going to hurt other people. You hear what I'm saying to you? You're going to hurt other people. And the Lord don't like that. He really doesn't like it. He doesn't like it. He doesn't like parents to do stuff that hurts their children. You know, he doesn't like people in ministry to do things that are hurting the people that they're trying to minister to. And I feel like God, what God wants to do is ask some people in this room this morning about some stuff you're into, stuff you're doing, stuff you put your hand in. Would you be willing to lay it down? Because that is almost like a, a, you know, a grace window God wants to give to people. Would you be willing to lay it down and let go of it? before he has to step in and deal you know, deal with the thing. You hear what I'm saying to you? And it may just be a heart thing. Maybe you've grabbed something in your heart and you've got a steel grip on it. Grabbed a person's emotions. I, I don't know. But I know this is an issue and I know it's a problem. And I believe it's an issue and problem with people in this room. And I can just say, go back and study Aiken's life and you'll see the end results of it. And it would be better this morning, I don't care if you've got a successful, what appears to be a successful ministry on the surface, if God is saying, that is not for you right now, you need to end that successful ministry. I don't care if you have a successful business this morning, making lots of money, if God is saying, you end that business, it is not for you right now, you need to do that. Because it would be better for us to end it than God to have to do it for us. You hear what I'm saying to you? Now, I'm, that's a pretty serious thing I just said. But I think the Lord wants to be serious with us. I think the Lord wants us to be real with Him. You may be in a relationship and you've gotten a hold of somebody's emotions, but you need to let go of that person. Turn them loose. Worst thing you can do is marry somebody and find out a year later you shouldn't have married them because you're stuck then. You're talking about the Lord holding your feet to the fire. <laughs> as long as you both shall live. <laughs> now, either you're going to have to kill that person or I hope God sends them a heart attack or something to get out of the deal. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? So I want to ask you this morning. I really want to ask you. I want to ask those in here who have put their hands on something to let go of it. I'm asking you to. I'm asking you to acknowledge that you've done that. And I'm asking you to let go of it. And I don't care if it costs you. Because here's the truth. The, the, it's going to be a greater cost to you if you do not do it. And I just believe it's, it's God is opening a window for us this morning. And I want to ask you, if you, would you be willing to receive the grace from that window that God wants to give? I mean, we, it's going to cost us if we don't stay close to the Lord. If we don't stay in communion with